This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing tonight? I'm really good. I'm excited for Christmas coming up in just a couple of days. I guess you're off school, so that's, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, today was my last day. Had a half day with the kids. Uh, a whole lot of nothing happened at school, so <laughs> it was nice <laughs> to just be done with it today and uh, have at least a couple weeks to myself. And you just had your sister visit you in uh, New York, right? I did, yeah, for uh, for a long weekend. So it was nice to just hang out with her. I don't get a whole lot of alone time with her, so that was really really fun. And we got to do some Christmas in the city, which was really nice and nostalgic because I think the last time we did that, we were five and six respectively. So Uh it was a lot of fun. That's great. Well, cool. I I don't think we have any other business to attend to before we get started. Uh, So let's just go ahead and dive into our first episode discussion, which as we talked about last week is a sort of part two of sorts to Traveling Salesman, which we discussed in our episode 22. This is The Return. It aired on January 18th of 2007 and was directed by showrunner Greg Daniels and written by Lee Eisenberg, Michael Schur, and Gene Stepnitsky. So Dwight has quit Dunder Mifflin and is now hunting for jobs. So with Dwight out of the way, Andy is now weaseling his way into Michael's good graces, or at least trying to. Michael is more than fed up with Andy and his constant yes-man attitude. Oscar returns from his paid vacation, which is when he got a settlement from corporate because Michael kissed him, several episodes ago. Michael is quick to offend with his fiesta-themed party for Oscar to celebrate Oscar's Mexicanity. (laughs) Meanwhile, the office is getting more uh, put off by Andy. Jim and Pam prank him by stealing his cell phone and throwing it up into the ceiling tiles. Andy, who has just been rejected by Michael, loses his cool and punches a hole in the wall. So we actually end this episode with Andy being sent to anger management on corporate's suggestion. Yeah, it's sort of like the office's version of freezing Han Solo and Carbonite because they didn't know uh, Ed Helms was going to be coming back for uh, the future. And so this was their way of putting him aside in case he didn't come back, but leaving the door open if he does. So uh, that's a possibility. Um, also, you you talked about Oscar, and I feel silly, Katie, because I'd sort of been teasing that we didn't know why Oscar had been gone, but it was actually mentioned in the episode where he left, it was mentioned in Gay Witch Hunt, episode one of season three, at the end of the episode where they or Oscar had a talking head saying, oh, yeah, I got three month paid vacation and a company car so that I didn't sue the company. And so we've known this whole time. And I, I knew the information. I just didn't know when it would come or apparently came. And so my bad on that one. You know, it totally slipped by me, too, because he sort of just said, I got a three month vacation and then. I kind of forgot about that and it happened and he was gone. And then a few episodes in, I was like, where's Oscar? We haven't seen him. Um, and then, of course, in the return, he comes back and I kind of hit my my hand to my forehead like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that whole dramatic gay witch hunt episode. Uh, so, yeah, we felt a little stupid, but um, he's back. <laughs> yeah. And shout out to Deb Zarnecki, who did email us about that. Uh like I said, we did know why he was gone. We just didn't know when that information was disclosed. And right. so we've been teasing it, but hey, it was already out there. Um, so anyway, getting on to episode discussion, what do we got first, Katie? Well, quick disclaimer, I did want to say that we did touch on this with uh, Traveling Salesman, that these were individual episodes and then were combined, I think, and they had to cut some stuff. So the Netflix version kept them as separate episodes. So they had a few more scenes in them that were cut when they turned into an hour, if that makes sense. So if you're watching it on Netflix, you may hear some things that we mentioned in deleted scenes or vice versa. Um, It's a lot of the same material, just kind of placed differently. So bear with us if you're watching on Netflix. Um, But I guess a good place to start is Oscar. So uh, towards the top of the episode, we see that he's gotten a company car as well from the settlement. So he has a three-month vacation, a company car, and then on Netflix, it shows, but it's it's a deleted scene on the DVD that Oscar kind of says, you know, part of me wishes that people would have learned their lesson, 
from all of this, because once again, it's day one and people are already being insensitive again. He said, I, I wish that they had learned their lesson, but also keep talking because I'd really love a home theater. So he's uh, <laughs> he's kind of milking the um, the settlement. You know, he's, he's like, I, I would I would love some more money from this. So keep being ignorant. That's one of my favorite just sort of background things to watch in this episode is Oscar sort of reacclimating himself to being around everybody. And this is his first time around the Stanford people as well. I mean, there's only two of them at this point. But uh, you have Kevin asking him how his gaycation went and thinking he's very clever. And then Angela asking him to join the party planning committee out of nowhere. And Michael wanting to throw a Mexican party to celebrate Oscar because it's not your gayness that defines you. It's your Mexicanness that defines you to me, Oscar. And then, uh, like I said, getting introduced to Andy and his first experience with Andy, first day back on the job and Andy punches a hole in the wall. I mean, what a first day. So Oscar has a sort of wild ride being back in the office for the first time in a long time. You're right. I didn't think about the fact that Oscar will have just met Karen and Andy. So a uh, big introduction to Andy. <laughs> yeah. And kind of convenient that Dwight left at this point because Andy was sitting at, uh, at Oscar's desk until now, I suppose. I guess he was. Because now he's sitting in Dwight's desk. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That took me a minute to put together, but you're right. <laughs> I did want to touch on the Angela Oscar, um, scene where Angela feels badly about how she treated Oscar before and she has this whole convoluted emotional um like emotional vomit basically where she's just trying to apologize but can't really apologize directly she just kind of has to be really vague about it she says certain events have transpired and I thought about certain things and I'm sorry for the way those certain events transpired. And I would just like to make some changes about certain things and certain situations with certain accountants. <laughs> and she just, uh, she can't apologize for how things actually went down. She um, clearly feels remorse, but isn't sure how to apologize to Oscar. And I think part of it is because Dwight's absence is obviously painful to her. And I don't know if, if she sees... Dwight's absence as an opportunity to make amends with people and to treat some people differently, including Oscar. Um, it, it just sort of makes me wonder what brings her to this revelation all of a sudden, because it's not that she was treating Dwight poorly that made him leave. Why does she feel the need to suddenly play nice with others? Or is it like you were suggesting just Oscar specifically that she's focusing on treating better? You know, I'm not sure. We don't really see her act very differently to anybody else in the office, just to Oscar. Um, but as I've said in previous episodes, I feel like they should be friends. You know, they're they're kind of the adults of the accountants, as we've said before. <laughs> Kevin's kind of the kid and they're the parents. Um, and I think they, they're both smart and they both get along well enough until, you know, Oscar offends Angela by being gay or something. Um, they're generally pretty well suited and i think i think she's just trying to um be at least work civil yeah i wonder if it's absence sort of makes the heart grow fonder kind of situation where uh treating oscar so poorly and then all of a sudden he's gone for a quarter of a year and uh she feels bad the what last time she saw him and now he's back and oh maybe i should treat him differently despite him living this lifestyle that i'm opposed to I don't know. Uh, it was just an interesting question on my case, or in my case. And then uh, she does, just speaking on Angela, uh, comes to the realization that she would rather have Dwight be there and their private rela relationship be less private than for Dwight to be gone and their relationship still a secret. So she goes up to Michael and says, or tells the truth, basically. I mean, she just says, the reason Dwight was gone that morning and the reason he went to New York is because I messed up and he was doing me a favor. And uh, I will talk more about Michael's reaction when we talk about Michael, but it's showing character growth on Angela's part that she decides, okay, I want Dwight back. So let's put our business out there. Well, speaking of Michael, so as we mentioned earlier, he is getting more and more annoyed by Andy this episode. Andy is <laughs> the ultimate brown noser. He's 
um, an absolute yes man. And Michael is not having it, which, as they mentioned in the commentary a little bit, who can possibly annoy Michael, who is probably the most annoying person in the office, until Andy came around. Um, So Andy's got to be pretty freaking bad (laughs) to annoy Michael Scott. And he is. He's very annoyed. And I think Michael misses Dwight a lot, too. Um, Which we didn't see when Dwight was there. I think Michael never really appreciated Dwight until he was gone. I think it was kind of that same situation, um, maybe with Angela and Oscar, that Michael didn't realize what a good friend Dwight was to him until Dwight was gone. And then he had Andy. He was just fake and uh, a guest man. Despite liking Andy initially, he he's understanding and learning how obnoxious he is in the absence of Dwight. You know, Dwight always irritated Michael, but he was never as pandering or, again, as obnoxious as Andy has been in this episode in particular. And he does learn about all the little things that Dwight used to do that were just sort of left in the background, like uh, rearranging the toys on his desk or watering the office plants. And at the end of the episode, Michael actually points out in a talking head that the, the key difference between Andy and Dwight is that Dwight sucks up to Michael but because he likes Michael. And Andy does it as a means of sort of bolstering his career or his professional status, which means that a lot of Andy's enthusiasm, if not all of it, is fake. Absolutely. And we even see that at the end of this episode, just like when he arrived in Scranton, you know, all of the uh, behavior mirroring and saying people's names a whole lot, he does that again at uh, Anger Management. So he's just desperate to make people like him. Um, whereas Dwight, I always kind of saw Dunder Mifflin as Dwight's second home. I mean, he would stay late and as you said, water the plants, rearrange Michael's toys on his desk. Um, he he really cared about Dunder Mifflin, and that's why, I mean, he was so invested in Michael, because Michael was the king of Dunder Mifflin, he was the boss, and um, Andy's just doing it for the promotion and the attention, and not for the right reasons. Right. Even when he shows up at the anger management facility at the end, he, he says that exact same thing he said in uh, the merge, the merger. Uh, and it's he's it's a 10 week program. And he says, I'll get out in five. So it's as a means of speeding up the process. So it's always a shortcut for Andy is what his goal is, a shortcut to get to this place or to this status or to accomplish this. Um, but anyways, moving on, we have Dwight. Uh, who is now working at Staples, but also interviewing other places. And so we have this sort of brief montage with a voiceover where he turns in multiple resumes at this one place. One is professional skills, one is athletic and special skills, and then one is Dwight Schrute trivia. <laughs> he he almost, uh, I, I wrote in my notes, Dwight's up the interviews where he sort of intimidates people into not giving him a job. Because on paper, he was a very good salesman at Dunder Mifflin. He should be able to get any sort of sales-related job he wants, really. Right. I had that written down, too, that he... The way that they edited it, it looks like he got rejected from these bigger sales places before he went to Staples. Um, and so he ends up being just a floor sales guy at Staples, um, when really he would have been a, an asset to probably any of these companies. And you're right, um, just totally bullied his way into those and out of those interviews. His eccentricities just don't fit in with other people. Um, so him going back to Dunder Mifflin once Michael apologizes with people he knows and people who are used to those eccentricities, it's just a no-brainer for him. Like He doesn't really hesitate. It's just, okay, well, I'll go back. In fact, seeing his time at Staples, uh, talking with... Paris, I think his coworker's name is. He even refers to Dunder Mifflin as we. We're only Staples' biggest competitor in the area. Uh, so he never thinks of himself as leaving Dunder Mifflin. And so Michael does go back, apologizes, and asks him to come back. And he accepts. And can we talk about that apology from Michael real quick? Because it's probably my favorite moment in the episode. 
Yeah, he's um he starts it pretty insincerely saying, you know, it takes a big man to uh to apologize for his mistakes and I and I am that bigger man or something like that. Um so kind of tuning his own horn, but I think he just missed Dwight so much and I think he realized what Dwight was for the company and what he was as a friend and had to have him back. You see the first glimpse of that when he's talking with Angela after she's revealed the truth. And he says, why would he do that for you? And he says, I know why he would do that, because Dwight loves this company. <laughs> he's wrong. He's missing. He's got a pretty big blind spot in the relationship between Angela and Dwight. But he believes that Dwight did that because he loves Dunder Mifflin. And he goes to Staples. He, he does make that big man comment, makes a little bit about himself. But he gives... The rest of it, what I, I would think is a pretty heartfelt apology. And he says, I have misjudged you from the beginning, and I apologize. Um, saying something about what he would do for a random coworker. Again, not knowing his true relationship to Angela. Um, but then after that, he talks a little bit about his position at Staples after he's apologized and says, You should come back. You should come back. And then he says, Please. And so Michael barely, uh, basically sort of strips himself down and opens himself up and makes himself vulnerable to truly apologize and to ask Dwight to come back. I think that this will be a big turn in their relationship here on out. Um, To be honest, I can't say off the top of my head if that's true. So this will be a surprise for me as well. Um, If and when that change does happen. But if it were to happen, I feel like it would be right here. Um, Because that really was a sincere apology, especially that part. I misjudged you from the beginning. That just, oh, kind of touches you. It does. Uh, I I really like the the Michael-Dwight relationship. And I do hope that it becomes a little bit more uh, mutual, I suppose, is the word for it moving forward. Because it is, has been pretty one-sided coming from Dwight and not so much from Michael, but maybe that'll change and we will continue to talk about that and explore that. Right. Exactly. Without giving anything away. Now, what about Jim? We have a pretty big Jim moment in this episode. It's, it's a small scene and a big moment. Um, we learn that Jim, well, we, we knew that Jim, but we, uh, Jim told Karen that he still has feelings for Pam. We already knew that. Um, Karen knew that Jim did have feelings for Pam, but Jim tells Karen to her face that that he still has some something to do with her. So Karen storms out of the room and TBD. We see a bit of that um, develop in the next episode, but that was a pretty dramatic end for, for Jim's character this episode. Jim gets so agitated by Andy in this episode that he... He decides, man, Andy is prime target for a prank. Let's talk to my girlfriend first and see if you want to do something about it. And she says, no, I'm swamped. I just inherited 12 of Dwight's clients. I'm pretty busy. And the the agitation continues. And so he goes to Pam. And she is all too eager to be involved because, hey, Jim and Pam, just like the old days, pulling a prank on a coworker. And so they go through the whole episode. They do the prank. It sort of goes south there at the end when Andy punches a hole in the wall. But right after that, during Oscar's party, you see Jim sort of just sitting alone in the conference room. And it's like he's already discovered what Karen is about to ask him without having that confrontation because he sort of looks dazed. He's sitting by himself, almost as if he's thinking, what a mess my life has become. And... Then Karen approaches him, asks, do you still have feelings for her? And he just sort of wordlessly nods his head and then says, yes. And that's it. It's out there. Uh, we've sort of speculated and analyzed how he's reacted and how he's responded to the two of them talking together and all these sorts of things. And here we finally have confirmation that those old, sur- those old feelings have resurfaced. Yeah, I was kind of wondering that same thing, why he looked so forlorn um before karen actually asked him the question because really nothing before that would put him in that mood unless he kind of knew it was coming um 
something to think about. Nothing that was aired, but you got to wonder um, what's going through his head at that moment. I think he's just so conflicted because I don't doubt that he likes Karen, but his past with Pam is just so difficult to escape from, especially when they conspire together to do these pranks against coworkers like they did in the old days, pre-Stanford. Um, fun between the two of them only strengthens their bond and causes those old habits and feelings to resurface. And it makes me feel bad for Karen because she's just trapped in the middle. She moved here for work, but kind of mostly for Jim. And if Pam had not been brought back into the picture, her and Jim might be in a very happy relationship at this point in the series. And I feel like Jim at the beginning of his move back to Scranton tried to keep her at a distance to keep Pam at a distance and tried not to prank with her and joke around and fall back into their old habits, but he can't help it. Uh, that's the way things were for a long time. And Karen's still pretty new in his life. And that habit with Pam just fell back into place. And, um, so did his feelings. The last character I really had anything to say about, and we've already talked about him, so we don't have to talk much, but Andy, we've talked and sort of hinted about his anger problems in the past, uh, namely when he threatened to actually literally kill Jim during the COD moment, uh, Call of Duty moment back in the coup in early season three. And uh, this it's sort of this buildup throughout the course of the episode where Jim hides the phone, calls it a couple times, Andy can't find it. But then when when Michael just sort of shuts him down, turns down, rejects his friendship, and then Jim makes that call, uh, which is pretty bad timing, in my opinion. Uh, not even my opinion. It was just bad timing. Let's, let's be <laughs> honest. And he loses it, and he punches the hole in the wall. And uh, shortly thereafter, uh, Jim points out that it's half-inch drywall. I mean, this is not thin stuff. And he he punches clean through it. Yeah, that was all I really wanted to say about Andy, too, except that it's just such a dramatic, angry moment. And uh, I love Jim's face when, you know, the Rock and Robin cell phone ring is going off and Andy turns around and punches the, the wall and the whole office falls silent, except for the ringtone. And then you just watch Jim hang up the phone and just look like, <laughs> oh god what did i do <laughs> yeah I, I made note of that as well because he makes his face like oh too far let's let's too far. let's finish this and he just makes the face and immediately hangs up the phone i'm done with this i washed my hands of this <laughs> i had nothing to do with it <laughs> right now moving on to our funny moments uh what, what's first up for you well, while we were on Andy, I wanted to point out this is our first Rita did to do of oh, Andy to do yeah the first uh, real one. Which, yeah, which if you're just watching along with us for the first time, not a big spoiler, just uh, a big Andy catchphrase that we will hear again. So that's kind of a fun tidbit. What about you? Um, well, sort of also speaking to Andy, Michael has a quote early on in the episode. Uh, I think it's the moment where he's hiding behind his office door as Andy's looking for him. And he says, I don't understand how someone can have so little self-awareness. And I just, I kind of want to like, sound clip that quote and insert it through every single episode and every single moment of the show so far where Michael has had so little self-awareness. That would be pretty brilliant, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's this little moment between Ryan and Jim when Jim is trying to recruit people to prank Andy and he checks with Karen and he checks with Ryan and um, Jim says, do you want to pull the prank on Andy? And Ryan says, you know, not right now, but ask me 10 years ago, which, uh, okay, Ryan. And then <laughs> Jim said, you know, I liked you better when you were the temp, Ryan. Yeah, me too. <laughs> he just, he's fallen into this um, new position and he is clearly not happy and he is sassing everyone and, uh, he kind of knows that he's being a jerk and everyone else realizes it too. I miss that moment because it's not in the DVD extended hour version, oh, uh, but I okay. remember it from my last Netflix watch through. So thank you for reminding me of yeah. that. Um, but another Ryan moment that is included in the hour long version is preparation for the Mexican party for Oscar. He has a 
uh, two liter bottle of lemonade and he draws a tilde over the N and an accent mark over the E to turn lemonade into lemonade for Mexican lemonade <laughs> for Oscar's party. <laughs> One of my favorite moments of the episode. He's <laughs> like, I got to do what I can with this. Um. Also of the of the party, Michael um, is asking Oscar how he likes it, and Oscar trying not to, you know, praise it too high or too little. Says it reminds me a lot of the Three Amigos with Steve Martin and Chevy Chase, <laughs> and that probably wasn't a huge compliment for a party. But Michael is just wow. Oh, thank that's thank you so much. Like that was just the biggest compliment Oscar could have given him. I think Oscar was trying to point out that it was like fake Mexican because obviously neither exactly. Steve Martin yeah. nor Chevy Chase are of the Hispanic heritage in any <laughs> shape or form. Steve Martin himself is very white. Very, uh, very white. <laughs> but uh, it, it's it's funny that Mar- uh, that Michael does take it as a compliment. Paris, who we mentioned earlier, is one of Dwight's co-workers at Staples. And there's really only one scene we get of her in the actual episode. But it makes me laugh every time. She and Dwight are on their lunch break. And she's trying to make small talk and he just sort of shuts her down and he makes fun of her for not having heard of Dunder Mifflin before. He says something like, have you heard of paper? And she says, oh, that's how it's going to be then, is it? And then she has this talking head talking about how she doesn't like him. I don't like his giant head or his beady little eyes. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> this is one little snippet of attitude from this character that we're never going to see again. Uh, that it, it makes me laugh. It's, it's so funny. Uh, One of my last ones is with Phyllis and they were talking about Dwight's absence and Phyllis is saying that she and Dwight were never that close because Dwight has a big personality and, and I have a big personality. And a lot of times when two people like that get together, it can be explosive, (laughs) which (laughs) I think Phyllis might have the least, um, I don't know. What's the word? Like the least ostentatious, um, personality the least yeah attitude in the whole office she's just this quiet meek person and she thinks she has this big personality which that line gets me every time that reminds me of uh was it a deleted scene from last week where kevin said i'm on my fourth cup of coffee and i am bouncing off the walls right now (laughs) exactly yeah (laughs) um let's see i've only got one or two more um i love how dwight sort of hijacks oscar's party um he he returns to Dunder Mifflin. He sees the party going on and he asks, did you do all of this for me? And this camera sort of pans to a banner that reads, welcome back, Oscar. And Michael just says, guilty. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Michael, it, it's time to hit the pinata. And so Michael reaches out and Dwight and, Michael, or Dwight and uh, Oscar are standing next to each other. And Michael's handing them or one of them, the broom, to hit the pinata. Well, it's Oscar's party, and so Oscar starts to reach for it, but then Dwight takes it, and then uh, somebody offers him a blindfold, and Dwight says, I don't need it. <laughs> like, obviously you don't need it, but that's the whole point of a pinata, Dwight, is that you can't see. Uh, and he beats it, pulverizes it. I, I just love how it becomes Dwight's party in the end. And I think at that moment, the camera pans over to Angela, and she... I might be imagining this, but she just kind of smiles like she's so proud of Dwight for conquering this pinata. <laughs> oh, that definitely happens. You, you're yeah. not imagining it. <laughs> well, we did have a commentary for this episode. Uh, really, it was for this episode and Traveling Salesman because, again, on the DVD, they were combined. So we're going to talk about the Traveling Salesman bits of the commentary first, and then we'll move on to the return. So John Krasinski points out that in Traveling Salesman, this is the first time that we really consciously delve into Dwight's and Angela's relationship. Um, Before that episode, it had really been a whole lot of hearsay and conjecture, but this was the first time that people really spoke about it in the episode, uh, which I thought was interesting. We had been in the know for so long, but nobody had really ever said anything about it. They also pointed out, and this is a reminder, it's not the first time they've mentioned it, but this wasn't filmed in Scranton, Pennsylvania, (laughs) most of it at least. Um, And so in the scenes where they're in the snow in the parking lot and they're dressed in warm clothes and shivering, they're dressed very warmly and faking cold in the middle of the Californian heat. Uh, So there's a lot of 
pretty intense acting going on and probably a lot of intense sweating under those jackets. In that picture that Jim shows the camera when he mentions that Jim and Dwight used to go on sales calls together, that picture was pretty photoshopped, but it was both of those actors, obviously. Um, John Krasinski, that was his high school photo, uh, hair and all. And then Rain Wilson, they took a modern day photo of Rain and then they photoshopped his hair from a photo of him it was his hair but it was a 1991 romeo and juliet tour that he was on and he had his (laughs) hair long and curly and they just photoshopped that same hair onto his current day picture so that was all john krasinski that was all rain wilson but different time periods kind of meshed together which was really interesting uh the slap that happens at the business office before their sales meeting uh john krasinski did it once lightly And Greg Daniels, who was directing the episode, didn't want him to do it again. But then they went to film it again, and Rain Wilson insisted that John slap him as hard as he can, or as hard as he could, and he did it. So the the take that we get in the episode is John Krasinski slapping Rain Wilson as hard as he can. Uh, And you actually see a moment, Rain Wilson points this out, where he almost breaks character as he's walking through the door, uh, but then the camera cuts and everything's fine. Just a couple more things from Traveling Salesman Noel for Angela's middle name was an ad lib on Angela Kinsey's part. Uh, I think they they mentioned it might have been originally Colette in the script, but she changed it to Noel. And then all of Stanley laughing at Ryan in the car was actually ad libbed as well. Uh, Leslie David Baker pointed out that in the script, it would say Ryan's lines and it would just say in like parentheses for Stanley, Stanley rants at Ryan. So all of the stuff about how he's laughing, about how he sounded like my six-year-old niece, that was all ad-libbed by Leslie David Baker for Stanley. And then the last one I have, uh, they pointed out that the salute that Dwight does before he leaves Dunder Mifflin is the same one that he did to Ryan back in early season three with The Initiation. So uh, we, we have that consistent salute that is sort of like half Nazi salute and half like flourish. It's, it's really strange, but it's the second time we've seen it. That it for you on uh, Traveling Salesman? Mm-hmm. And then I only have two okay. for the next one. So, Oh, okay. I have a few more. So uh, moving on to this episode, The Return... Um, So all of the staples scenes in The Return are in actual staples. It's not a soundstage. So they closed out of staples for the day, filmed, and uh, which is good because that probably would have been really expensive to build an entire staples. Um, When Andy is singing Zombie by the Cranberries, uh, (laughs) when it originally starts to annoy kind of everybody in the office, especially Jim, the cast actually sat there and brainstormed what would be the most annoying song in that situation, and they came up with Zombie by the Cranberries, which, uh, as um, Ed Helms said, given his kind of voice crack in that chorus of the song, he said was very annoying, and it worked. (laughs) (laughs) Ed Helms, speaking of him, actually recorded the Rockin' Robin ringtone that Andy created in uh, the episode on his computer at home, just like Andy did. And emailed it into the show, into the producers, and they used the home recording he did himself in the episode, which is pretty cool. Uh, Just a couple more for me. Um, When Dwight returns to the office and he's wearing that um, green overcoat and then he's wearing a a Battlestar Galactica sweatshirt, that actually was a costuming piece that they had to make themselves because there were no Battlestar Galactica like paraphernalia out for sale. So that was a costuming um, choice or is a costuming creation rather. And then I just wanted to point out how, you know how in back to vacation, when Dwight was recording the meeting, when Michael was out of town and they all started saying like, he has a Muppet baby's tattoo or that he has a knife uh-huh. pretty much the entire second half of this commentary. They were doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the <laughs> and same they were comparison. like, yeah, <laughs> Rain Wilson has his shirt off and he has eight nipples or whatever. <laughs> like, um, just like making all this outrageous um, accusation that the audience can't actually verify, uh, which I thought was a nice tie over, which is a lot of fun. 
And just a, a sort of general comment on the commentary as a whole. This was our first time having Ed Helms on and um, Rashida Jones. I, I don't think she'd been the one either. And she showed up in the last 10 minutes or so of this commentary, just sort of walked in the room as everybody else was recording. So it, it was pretty fun. So moving on to just a couple of deleted scenes, uh, as we mentioned, this was tied into the traveling salesman and the, the lump of deleted scenes was 26 minutes long. So we'll, we'll have just a few to go over and then you can watch the other uh, part of it to get the, the full experience. Um, I thought it was worth noting that in one of the deleted scenes, after stealing Andy's phone with Pam, Jim goes over to Karen and gives her one more shot to get in on the joke and get on get in on the gag. And she turns him down again. And also in the deleted scenes at the very end, she Karen has a talking head about how she didn't think it was funny that Andy punched a hole in the wall because she wasn't in on the joke. And so I think that's her sort of expressing regret that she didn't go along with Jim because she recognizes, I think it's not hard to figure out that it was at least Jim and probably Jim and Pam who organized this and led to Andy punching a hole in the wall. And so we have those two deleted scenes that Jim gave her another chance. She turned it down and now she's regretting it, especially seeing all the sort of little side eyes she gave toward Jim and Pam the whole episode. And then that confrontation with Jim at the end. I had, um, I think both of mine are regarding Dwight. Um, I think it was really worth mentioning that Michael learns that Dwight turned down his uh, payment for his unused three months of vacation days because he would prefer that the company had the money instead of him, which really shocks Michael. And um, I don't know that it shocked me, but it was really telling of Dwight's character and Dwight's. love for the company that he would rather not take a three month vacation because he didn't use his vacation days and he would rather return that money to the company. Um, which I kind of wish that they had put that one in because it kind of spurs Michael's want to go get Dwight back. But regardless, I really liked that scene. Yeah. It's just another instance of Michael not fully understanding Dwight's character and then having something revealed and him regretting even further what he did to send him away. Um, and something that happens outside of Dunder Mifflin that also proves Dwight's capabilities and something we talked about at the beginning in regards to how Dwight could probably get any job he wanted if he wasn't Dwight. <laughs> if, he, if he had Dwight's sales record but wasn't Dwight, he could get any job. And that's proven when, in a deleted scene, he gets promoted to a management position at Staples uh, within a week. And he's very unenthused by it because I, I guess he's still, it's, it's still Staples and it's not Dunder Mifflin and it's not another big time sales corporation. And so it's just, eh, okay, cool. Yeah, I don't need the training, whatever. Send me on to the next place. Okay. <laughs> That's sort of the attitude he has about it. So now on to our second episode for discussion today, Ben Franklin. It aired on February 1st, 2007. It was directed by Randall Einhorn and written by Mindy Kalig. Phyllis Lappin and Bob Vance are soon to be married, so the office is throwing a bridal shower for the women and a bachelor party for the men. Todd Packer shows up during the preparation and convinces Michael that it's not a real bachelor party unless there's a stripper. So Michael enlists Jim and Dwight to hire a woman for the men and a man for the women. Dwight makes a call for the woman, while Jim decides to order a Benjamin Franklin impersonator for for the women rather than an actual stripper. And so hilarity ensues as the women try to get Ben Franklin to break character, but Michael begins to feel guilty that he might be cheating on Jan with a stripper present. Yeah, this is one of those episodes that when I think of The Office, I just imagine Ben Franklin at the women's um, bridal shower. (laughs) This is just one of those iconic episodes for me. So I'm excited to get to talk about it. Um, Some character interactions. Who do you want to start with? So starting with Michael, he's trying to get everyone excited for Phyllis's wedding to Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. And (laughs) he, he says rude things like, 
telling Karen to get a skirt or a dress of some kind because she normally wears like pantsuits kind of things or instituting prima nocta, which was a lot more vulgar than he thought it was. It's from Braveheart and it involves deflowering the bride on her wedding night. I, I just wonder why, why is Michael so excited for Phyllis's wedding? Uh, I think the excuse he gives in the episode is because he wants them to eventually be excited for his own wedding down the road, but I still don't understand why that means much now. I'm assuming it's because it's two people that everyone in the office knows and that they can all kind of celebrate together. I hope it's not that he's just wanting everyone to be excited for his wedding, which I don't see a bride, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, it, it would be a long way off if it was if he had his in mind. Anyways, I think he says something to the effect of, uh, "My wedding will be better than hers. It'll be on a boat or something like that." Like Michael, you're still way too far off to even really be considering that. Uh, but it's just strange that he gets so involved in the planning of this, and the fact that Bob Vance is having a bachelor party with people from Michael's office rather than from his own office at Vance Refrigeration. It's just strange, but uh, that's Michael for you. Also, our cold open was regarding Michael this episode. Um, pretty unrelated from the episode, even more so than usual, I think. he ha- He's creating a film for his future son, not his daughter, his son. Uh, even Dwight asks, how do you know it's going to be a boy? But <laughs> Michael is... Um, I think he's kind of realizing his mortality. He was cleaning out his wall sockets with a fork, as you do, (laughs) and um, shocked himself. And when he woke up, he had an epiphory, as he calls it. (laughs) And he decides to make this video for his future son, giving him the gist. Um, And so he does things like teach him how to jumpstart a car or take off a woman's bra, which Pam quickly declined to uh, example. (laughs) And just, yeah, a really kind of unrelated um, cold open, but a fun one. Yeah, the whole time Dwight is the one filming the majority of it, and he sort of gestures at the camera and shakes his head at Michael's uh, jumpstarting a car explanation, which is completely 100% incorrect. And, do uh, not do that at home. <laughs> no, don't. And then uh, Michael ends the video with, I will always love you. And Dwight uh, banters back, what if, he's, what if he's a murderer? What if that's how you die? And Michael just doesn't have an answer, just waves him off. Come on, stop it. Uh, but what I thought was really telling at the beginning of the cold open was that he was creating this video to tell his son things that he can't learn from his mother. The first thing is, uh, the the jump starting a car, which hey, that's not even that <laughs> he didn't even know how to do it. So I, I think a woman could explain jump starting a car much better than Michael could. Uh, maybe even give him correct information. Who knows? And then of course, as as if a woman could not teach him how to take off a bra, which not to be weird, but if anyone's going to be the expert on bras, wouldn't it be a woman? <laughs> like, I'm just saying. <laughs> but Michael is uh, clearly the expert. And um, yeah, kind of a weird video. But hey, that's Michael. And Packer shows up for the first time in a long time, convinces Michael that they need to get strippers for the two parties. Uh, well, he initially says, you need to get a stripper for the, the bachelor party for the men. And Michael says, well, we can't do that because of sexual harassment. Packer says, we'll get one for the women, too. Separate but equal. And Michael says, oh, so that's what Mm. that means. No, that's not what that means. (laughs) That has nothing to do with what that means. Uh, Michael, Michael. And he's so entranced by anything Todd Packer does or says that he's like putty in Packer's hands. And Packer could make him do just about anything. So down at the bachelor party, um, Bob Vance declines to have his dance with the stripper. Uh, He says, no, 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 not even going to get close. No, sir. And he says, Michael, it's all you. And so Michael takes the opportunity, sits down in the chair. um, At first is really enjoying himself. And then the uh, stripper, Elizabeth, says something like, I bet your girlfriend would be jealous. And it sets off this spark in Michael's head. And, oh, my gosh, you're right. Um, Jan's going to be jealous. He, he had this really moral moment of, 
this isn't right and I have a girlfriend and I shouldn't be doing this. It's nice that he does feel guilty. I think it I I appreciate that Michael does have that sort of change of heart when he's in the throes of it and he 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 stands up and he says I have a girlfriend and Bob has a fiance and gesturing to the stripper named Elizabeth. Uh, she probably has a boyfriend in prison somewhere. <laughs> um, and he, he does go through this guilt. He goes upstairs uh, and he turns to the, the two, quote, strippers for advice. He asks Ben Franklin and Ben Franklin says, well, you know, I had an illegitimate son and I didn't tell my wife about it. So just keep it a secret. And Michael calls him a sleazeball. And then he goes and asks uh, Elizabeth, who he just refers to in person as the stripper. And uh, she says, she gives a rhyme. Secret secrets are no fun. Secret secrets hurt someone. And Michael is obviously smitten, not, not by her, but by advice in a rhyme. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, how profound it rhymed. Okay, cool. And so he goes and he calls Jan and she is mad, but more mad that he had a stripper at their their business than him potentially cheating on her. Uh, and he's just glad. Oh, you're so understanding. I have the best girlfriend, best GD girlfriend in the world. Uh, and he he's done. He feels vindicated. So Michael says, you're not going to break up with me. And Jan says, I'm closer to firing you. And Michael takes that as Jan being totally okay with this. Yeah, which, like a gesture of love. It, right. Which, no, no, <laughs> she's way upset that he's wasting his uh, his work hours and the morality of having a stripper in the workplace. Um, the appropriateness, rather, of having a, a, a stripper there. Just don't tell your boss that. Like, no. Just not... Not a good call. And just speaking of the sort of morality or appropriateness of it, they he goes with Ryan to what he calls a sex shop, and all he can do is giggle. And what's funny about that scene is that pretty much the whole screen is blurred out because everything in that <laughs> store is inappropriate. Uh, so that's funny. But then I was just wondering while watching today, what do you think the odds are? What do you want to bet that Michael made this a business expense? or? 100%. 100%. I was going to ask, I do you want to give him the benefit of the doubt and pretend he's not foolish enough? But uh, okay, I, no. I don't know if I disagree. He, you know what? Because it was it was regarding someone at work. It took place at work. Sure. Work expense. Absolutely. I think he did. Imagine him handing that receipt over to Angela. Oh. oh. <laughs> not even. I, I'm sure she would contest it strongly, but uh, he would push for it, I'm sure. So moving on to talking about another character, we've got Karen and Jim's relationship on the rocks, but we also have sort of t two different perspectives. They're two different people uh, on how the relationship is going. And so Jim says, or well, Karen has been giving Jim looks across the room and she walks over to him and gives him a hug just sort of randomly out of the blue. She has a talking head about how they've had a rough couple of weeks, but now she thinks they're better than ever. And then you go to Jim and he has a talking head about how he and Karen have been having long talks every night for the last five nights. He looks exhausted and I just can't help but think that Karen might be sort of wearing him down with all these extensive talks about their relationships and presumably his feelings on Pam and all those kinds of things. I had that same thought that he just looks tired and she maybe does think that these talks are helping, but you know, a relationship is two people and he is, he seems pretty over all of the, conversation about this um they kind of made it seem like all of this conversation was over maybe one topic which yeah. was pam uh and five nights of that five long talks of that i'm sure I, it's very wearing and grating so yeah uh on the rocks indeed there's a really revealing moment when jim has been tasked to help dwight order the strippers and dwight asks in regards to the woman should they get a brunette i.e. Karen, or a redhead, i.e. Pam. And Jim says, blonde. 
And the camera uh, eyes both Karen and Pam. They both take a notice and they both sort of make looks. And Dwight is pleased because, hey, he likes blonde women. (laughs) But it's just a really revealing moment where when given the choice between two obvious parallels to the women he is or has been interested in, uh, he denies both of them. Yeah, I think he kind of catches on to this is a small office. Um, (laughs) I don't want to appear like I'm making any conscious choice one way or the other. So. Uh, probably a smart move on his on his end. Um, speaking of Pam and Jim, though, in the break room, when they have that scene talking about sleep and REM cycle and um, that to me was super reminiscent of old school Pam and Jim. Lots of flirty, like talking about nothing, but lots of laughing and giggling. And I mean, that conversation was essentially about nothing. It was about how much sleep you get per night and how Pam feels so much better when she has, you know, eight or nine hours versus, you know, six, like, yeah, (laughs) but they're so flirty and smiley and it's just, it's all coming back to the beginning again. I noted that scene as the first moment that Pam, like, actually tried to flirt not accidental flirting not happenstance flirting of them being in each other's presence but it seemed like she was actually trying to sort of win jim over in that moment um not that i think she was trying to get him to cheat but she can sense that there's a little bit of a rocky situation going on between her or between him and karen and maybe they're not long in that relationship and so she's trying to take advantage of it and i sort of perceived it as awkward um, maybe you disagree, but I, I thought it was very one-sided in which Pam was flirting with him and Jim was just sort of like, I'm tired. You're the reason I'm tired. Also, Karen's the reason I'm tired. And I just want to go sit at my desk and get work done. Um, that, that's just sort of how I perceived it. But uh, I, obviously, I'm open to interpretation as well. <laughs> no, definitely awkward for sure. Um, in fact, Pam knows it was awkward because when Jim walks out, she kind of like rolled her eyes at herself and just, oh my God, like that was <laughs> yeah. so bad. Um, and she kind of shook it off of her, but um, no, it was definitely painful. And yeah, I think Jim wasn't putting in as much as she was. Um, I I didn't think of it as her actively trying to flirt, but now that you say that, I agree. Okay, well, there it is. <laughs> uh, <laughs> later, Pam is confronted by Karen. Uh, they, they are sort of hanging out a little bit in this episode because they're obviously at the uh, bridal shower together and having a good time together, messing with Ben Franklin. And when Karen confronts her, she becomes sort of tongue-tied, says the wrong things, stumbles over her words. It seems that she has feelings for Jim after all. Obviously, we just talked about her flirting with him. Um, it's no surprise to us, but Karen seems a little surprised because I don't think that confrontation went the way she wanted it to. I think she expected Pam to just be like, oh, no, I don't have feelings for Jim at all. Don't worry about it. He's all yours. Be happy. Have fun in your relationship. Goodbye. But instead, Pam, again, sort of just stumbles over her words and uh, says all the wrong things to give Karen no confidence in the fact that Pam might one day steal Jim away from her. Yeah, it was another really kind of awkwardly phrased scene for Pam. She just wasn't on her A game. And uh, yeah, she she kind of accidentally said to Karen that she's interested in Jim, which I mean, I'm sort of a Freudian slip because she is, but didn't mean to say that to Karen. And Karen kind of caught her and said, wait, what do you mean? And Pam had a hard time getting back from that and, and convincing Karen that Pam is not into Jim. And it was all very awkward. And, you know, they're they're trying to be friends. I think Pam and Karen are friends, maybe even. Um, but this was sort of a hitch, I think, for them. And there was still even one more awkward scene with Pam. Um, obviously, Ben Franklin was sort of flirting with her. Or Gordon, I think he reveals his actual name to be. Yeah. Uh, Kelly is sitting with Ryan and points it out to Pam while her and Jim are in the break room together. And Jim sort of teases her about it and asks, hey, is there any real potential there, Beasley? And Pam gets a little upset by that. Like, Jim is almost trying to convince her to move on, maybe. Or at least that's the way I sort of perceived it. What do you think? 
Yeah, I would agree with that, which is why she then says to Ryan, um, yeah, man, I need a boyfriend. You know, Ryan, I think I'm ready for you to set me up with one of your business school friends, which I think kind of hurt Jim right back. Um, I think he wants her to move on, but also please don't. <laughs> You know? Yeah, he, he's still holding on to some things, but he's also looking at his sleep schedule for the past week and understanding that with Cam <laughs> available, there's issues. And that's just the way it is. Well, Pam has yet another guy after her as well in this episode. Uh, Roy has not quite quit it yet. He is still still kind of getting after Pam. He's still trying to make things up to her. And he's down in the warehouse when the men have their bachelor party and he has a talking head where he says he's really not into strippers. What he finds sexy is Pam's art. <laughs> so he is, um, you know, I don't feel like that's true. I could be wrong, but he is really trying to make amends. You read my mind because that was literally the last note I had to make before we moved on to funny moments. <laughs> um, he, he even says, I appreciate it. I appreciate her art, which is something because he never appreciated anything she was doing with her art or anything like that when they were actually together. So he, to his credit, as much as we may dislike him, he is trying. And uh, that's all that can really be said at this point. Uh, so moving on to some funny moments, what did you have? At the beginning of the episode, when Michael was talking with the girls and trying to arrange their parties together but they wanted to do the bridal shower on their own he says oh don't worry we're having our bachelor party at the same time it's a guy's afternoon in a gai a, a gay well not gay just a bridal shower for guys a guy shower an hour-long shower with guys and he's trying to <laughs> get away from this accidental acronym he created where he's saying the word gay and He's really not distancing himself at all the longer he goes on. He, he goes from guys afternoon to an hour-long shower with guys. <laughs> and you see Pam He's in the digging background. digging himself in a hole. Yeah, you have <laughs> Pam in the background just sort of uh, grinning. <laughs> I love a little line uh, between Jim and Dwight where Dwight has taken over finding a stripper for the men and Jim has been given the opportunity to find one for the women. and so. Um, Dwight kind of makes fun of Jim for, for booking the women's stripper by calling him Nancy and Jim corrects him. It's Sally. <laughs> <laughs> He's just playing into the joke a little bit, which was funny. And just the fact that Jim orders a scholastic Ben Franklin impersonator rather than an actual stripper is so funny to me. <laughs> How good is that? What a good idea. <laughs> and when he shows up, uh, Michael is that, uh, says something about him being president, and Ben Franklin says, oh, but I never was president. And Michael says, well, yeah, but Ben Franklin was. <laughs> and the impersonator just doesn't even <laughs> touch it. He doesn't go there. Then Michael says something shortly thereafter about how all the people came over on the Mayflower. And I just, I, I typed in my notes, Michael, learn your history. That is a completely separate event <laughs> with completely separate people in a completely separate time period. Yeah. <laughs> But Angela, I think she might be a little into Ben Franklin, or at least is very into the history. Um, she uh, first is is enjoying her sparkling cider until she realizes that it's champagne, spits it back in the glass. But then later we see her drinking the champagne and listening to, to Ben Franklin. And um, I love her little nod when... Ben Franklin is talking about his gray area in his life with all of his women in Paris. Yes, he has a wife in America, but he has women in Paris. And that's a gray area of my life. And Angela just has this nod. I can't even describe it. You have to go back and watch it. But it's just, oh, oh, absolutely. Like she's just learning the most fascinating history lesson. While Angela is enjoying the champagne, Meredith very much is not. She, You sort of see her in the background, and it's a, a quick glance, but she's trying to uh, enjoy the champagne, but it's like it's not hard enough for her. She wants, she wants the hard stuff. She wants the vodka, and it's just this light, fluffy sort of drink that's not doing anything for her. Uh, so we have that in the background. But then earlier in the episode, when Michael first suggests that they order a stripper, um, Angela says, I don't want to see any men stripping in this office. And Meredith like angrily shouts at Angela and says, shut up, Angela, <laughs> because she obviously wants somebody to strip in front of her in the office. Uh, but 
it doesn't happen anyways. Jim tries to convince Dwight that that is the real Ben Franklin, and Dwight is pretty sure he's not, <laughs> but isn't. He's 99% sure, but he has to quiz him just in case. So Dwight's asking all these questions about, you know, who the King of Prussia was, who the King of England was, and um, offers him some chocolate, which Ben Franklin wouldn't know about at that time or or wouldn't have access to, rather. Um, And so I think Dwight, his his percentage of confidence is going down that this is not the real Ben Franklin. Right. There is that deleted scene that I'll go ahead and mention where that scene of him quizzing Ben Franklin is extended. And at the end of it, Dwight says the whole, I'm 99% sure that he's not the real Ben Franklin. And then he pauses and says, 98. (laughs) Like his confidence is waning the more he talks to this guy who's very good at his job. But another one of my things that I made note of was I I love how he's sort of convinced by the women to play along with their fun and games and oh you're a saucy one aren't you (laughs) he he, they (laughs) do break his character eventually but at the beginning when he's trying to stick to his story i bust out laughing every time when he's trying to give his it was a warm june evening and um karen and and pam are interrupting him and talking about his girlfriends and his wife Pam says, well, don't you also have girlfriends in Paris, like a lot of them? And he says, yes, but that was a gray area in my life. Okay, so it was a warm June evening. <laughs> and he's like, just trying to get back to his like spiel. Uh, that makes me laugh every time. Uh, going back to Michael real quick, he, he accidentally continues with the whole gay thing by asking everybody who wants some man meat. And Dwight shouts, I want your man meat. And Jim says, I do not want your man meat. <laughs> I love that one. And uh, at first it was just, who wants man meat? And then Dwight says, I do, I do. And then Jim says, he wants your man meat. So it got very personal and uh, went over everyone else's head. Finishing up, we have deleted scenes. Uh, First off, I have the one where Michael says there are 200 facts that every man should know. And they are actually spread between two books. One is 99 facts that men should know and the other one is 101 facts that men should know uh and it's apparently stuff like how to shuffle a deck of cards the difference between red and white wine (laughs) okay (laughs) and uh apparently stay away from a woman while on her menstrual cycle he says i already know all of these things uh now i'm just trying to figure out how to uh, uh how to run a bachelor party or whatever uh okay michael uh I, th- I think there's a little bit more than 200 facts, and you're probably not going to learn them all from books. <laughs> Todd Packer, of course, is in the office, and he's in fine form mm. this episode. And he hits on Pam in, like, the most disgusting way. And he's just, I don't know, he's just being really nasty. And so Pam tries to avoid him by answering a pretend phone call. And she says, oh, yes, that will take me several hours to explain. <laughs> so she's just hoping to be on the phone and uh, bore him away from her desk. Toby actually does try to stop Michael from ordering the strippers in a deleted scene, but instead Michael just convinces him to go home and take the day off. And Toby has his talking head as he's grabbing his stuff at his desk and says, I, I had to at least make it look like I tried, right? <laughs> and it just makes me wonder, is Toby really indifferent or does he just know that there's no changing Michael's mind? I'm going to I'm going to say probably the latter. Uh, he's done this once and twice before. He knows that Michael just hates him. And you know what? Might as well take the day off. I think he he's putting it. He's put in effort for a lot of things before. I think he's just not. He's just, okay, you're going to win. I know. Yeah. (laughs) There was one that totally threw me off guard. I had not seen this one before where Phyllis is asking Pam if it's okay if she is seated next to Jim and Karen at her wedding. Pam says, yeah, that's fine. And Phyllis says, good, because I don't want any other drama at my wedding. Bob's other family is coming in from Ho Chi Minh City. And there's baby mama drama, which is totally insinuating that Bob Vance was in the Vietnam War and had a second family there. Yeah, I suppose so. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, what? That was a (laughs) totally out there deleted scene. Uh, We got some Creed 
where he goes up to Angela and tries to exchange a $20 bill for 21s from Petty Cash. And Angela starts to get it, and she says, okay, what's it for? And he says, oh, it's for the stripper. And then she immediately just slams it closed and puts it away. And Creed walks away, uh, memorizing where she keeps the Petty Cash. I think she sa- he says, like, Petty Cash, third drawer, Petty Cash, third drawer, or something like that. Uh, and then Kevin tries to uh, be sympathetic to Angela and on, on how disgusting Creed is, but he's just trying to get the same thing from Angela, some ones for the stripper. <laughs> and then to finish it up, we've got Daryl almost stopping Michael from bringing Elizabeth, the stripper, down to the warehouse. He asks if Jan said it was okay, and he introduces himself to Elizabeth with more respect than Michael or Dwight shows her throughout the rest of the episode. And we also get the reveal that uh, Daryl has a three-year-old daughter at this time in the show. So, small little detail. Yeah, there we go. And uh, that's it. So our discussion topic for this episode, um, short of having a Ben Franklin impersonator, which I know is tempting, what would you do at your bachelor party? At my bachelor party? See, I don't know, because you don't typically plan your own bachelor party, right? Um, Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I've I've never planned one. But like your ideal or, you know, for your best friend, maybe, or what would you hope yours would be like? Yeah, well, I mean, my best friend just got recently married a couple months ago. Um, for that one, we did like an escape room. We did, uh, we went to a bar, went to a steakhouse, went to a Rangers game. All that stuff is pretty fun. Uh, honestly, if we went to like a dine-in movie, if we rented out a theater to watch a recent release, or if we got a print of one of my favorite movies, like Back to the Future or something like that, that would be pretty sweet. Uh, just have a theater to ourselves and have a good time talking in a dark theater, seeing everything on the big screen. I'd like that a lot. <laughs> I'm kind of going to save that away and keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really cool, renting out a theater for yourself and like getting to talk in the theater is so, you know, unheard of. That's cool. Mm-hmm. What about you? I don't know. I would love to go wine tasting, maybe. Uh-huh. I know like the Texas Hill Country has some pretty great vineyards. I mean, the goal would be like Napa Valley, but that's a little pricey. So <laughs> uh, I think I'll stick to Texas. But yeah, uh, they have these vans that just kind of drive you around from vineyard to vineyard. So you don't have to worry about driving and um, just go taste some wine and hang out with your friends, which sounds pretty excellent to me. Yeah, it sounds good to me as well. Well, I think that is the end of the official 23rd episode of An American Workplace. Uh, and apologies to those listening. If you heard cat sounds again, I do have a new kitten and he's been playing around this whole time and <laughs> has been pretty noisy on a couple of occasions. But uh, hopefully that didn't take away from the audio quality too much. Um, contact for the show, facebook.com slash workplace pod and at workplace pod on Twitter. Please go over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts app on your iOS device and rate, review, subscribe. Or if you have any feedback or ideas, you can email us workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins, or on my other podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find that where podcasts can be found or at thecinescopepodcast.com. Show notes and contact information for this show can be found at workplacepodcast.com. And that is all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 23 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 24 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season three, Phyllis Wedding and Business School. Have a very Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, although you will get a new episode from us before then. And goodbye. Okay. Great. Ta-da. Done.